This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 52. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 52 you're listening to, and it's brought to you by our friends over at Gearsluts.com, Audio-Technica, and Universal Audio. Glad to be back here with you. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. You know, those of you that have been listening for a long time know that probably, well, and maybe if you listen in order, uh, you know that I've been having a few guests on that tend to have credits that uh, are pretty recognizable, pretty high-profile records generally uh, with you know money and promotion behind them and uh, well-known artists. So today I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction. I'm going to be talking to my friend, today's guest, Robert Preston of Get Real Studios, Get Real Productions, I guess you could say, in uh, San Francisco. Robert is a friend of mine that I've known for many years. I originally met him when I was an employee at uh, Audio Images, a pro audio dealer in San Francisco. And Robert worked for PCM Marketing, as a, uh, which was a distributor. And they dealt with like Sure and Mackie products. And that's where we first met. And I'll just fast forward to now. Robert owns a studio called Get Real that is located in uh, a combination of a couple rehearsal rooms at Secret Studios in San Francisco. And Robert is in this very unique position where the studio, obviously it's in a rehearsal facility, so you can, right off the bat, you can start to guess the advantages to that, being in such close proximity to many, many bands. But um, he's also the manager of the building, so every person that comes into the building to rent a space for their band, you know, on a monthly basis, has to go through Robert, has to come to the studio. So it's an interesting situation in that you go in, you meet Robert, and to get your studio, to get your practice room um, rented. And in the process, you see this studio, and then obviously that opens up a discussion. So consequently, Robert works with a lot of these bands in the Bay Area that many people have never heard of. You know, bands that are just hammering away, some are weekend warriors, some are more professional. It's an interesting situation, and I felt it was uh, cool to bring him on. He's such a cool guy, and he's... And he's uh, been at it for a very, very, very long time. So we're going to have Robert on the show here today. So uh, that interview is coming up shortly. We are in the month of December. It is the uh, the holiday season. You know, I don't want to get preachy, and I certainly am not, uh, you know, going to tell you what to do and what not to do as far as, uh, you know, just the sense of uh, giving. I know this is a time of year when, you know, you're like, oh, what am I going to get for Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever it is, whatever, uh, you know, holiday practices you have. As far as gifts are concerned and uh, stuff like that, I just, I want to share this with you. I've had exposure to this on a couple of occasions, most recently in my son's fourth grade uh, classroom. His classroom is sponsoring a family. It's actually a family from Iraq who's come to the United States. It's a family of five. And, uh, they're, you know, they're having a hard time getting settled. It's, they came here with nothing. And so like, it's always the basics, like pots and pans and blankets and stuff that you just kind of scratch your head and go, oh my God, that's right. 
people need this kind of stuff. So we've been uh, putting together stuff for this family, which has been a really great experience. Also with my wife's family, instead of giving gifts to all the adults, because there's many adults to give uh, gifts to, uh, we are also sponsoring a family in the, in the Michigan area whose house burned down. And, uh, you know, it's a mom and a dad. And I think, uh, I think it's three kids, maybe it's four kids. And I mean, they lost everything. It's really devastating. So, you know, I'm just, those are my experiences and I certainly don't want to, uh, you know, impose on your, your holiday, but you know, it's something you might want to consider sometimes. I don't know about you, but you know, my needs are not that, that great. I have everything I need to make records. You know, personally, I I just don't have an obsession with any any other things, really. Uh, so, of course, I never go to my family or friends and say, you know, hey, you know what I love for Christmas is this, you know, $400 microphone or this $1,000 microphone. Um, so I tend to, you know, keep my requests kind of small. So what I enjoy about this is it kind of takes all the pressure off me. I don't have to come up with anything for me to tell them. Hey, we need a gift idea for you. Well, so in this case, you know, with my wife's family, we end up, uh, you know, sponsoring families. We've done it. I think it's been the last three years in a row. And it's, it feels so good in a number of ways because it just, uh, it takes the pressure off of all of us to give gifts to one another. We get a list of what these families need. And I think it's really cool. And it just, I don't know, to me, that's what the holidays are about. I don't really give a shit about what I get for Christmas or if I get anything, really, to be honest with you. I will say this. I, I've been, uh, I, I just have to say thank you to many of you who uh, clearly recognize my desire for coffee. Many of you have been sending me coffee beans. And I, uh, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's really great. Um, we were running out of coffee the other day and a box showed up and my wife said, wow, that'd be great if that was more coffee from your listeners because we're almost out. And uh, sure enough, it was. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been nice. But I digress. Anyhow, so yeah, the the spirit of giving, the spirit of uh, helping others out. There's a fantastic article floating around out there. I don't know if you've read it. Uh, it's actually an article. Uh, I think it's on Huffington Post and um, by Steve Albini. He wrote it, and uh, it talks about how um, his wife discovered that uh, people. I don't know how she had access to these letters. I'd have to go back and read the article. But basically, people. She came across all these letters to Santa Claus, and people were writing in not just kids saying, I, you know, I wish I had, you know, the latest, greatest toy or this teddy bear or whatever. It was people who were really in need, you know, like I, I'm just hoping Santa Claus brings me a job. I'm hoping Santa Claus like, you know, turns on the heat or whatever. So, um, basically the, the, in short, what I got out of the article is Steve Albini and his wife and, uh, some friends of theirs go around every year and they do uh, a thing where they actually deliver presents to people of things that they need. So I just think that that's amazing. So that's, that's, uh, my little holiday spin for the, uh, for the show today. And, uh, I hope, I hope you get something out of it and get inspired to maybe help someone out who, who's in need, who really does need help. Cause, um, yeah, you know, that's how it works. You help other people out. So anyways, let's get on with the show here. Let's, uh, get on over to Robert Preston here on the working class audio podcast. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Good to good to hear your voice. It's been a while. Yeah, too long. We've been doing a lot of uh, people who've worked with some well-known acts lately, and now we're going to go in the opposite direction. And I felt it was interesting and critical to have you on because you... Because I'm unknown. Well, not because you're unknown, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> I think like if somebody were to stumble upon what you're doing, they would be as equally fascinated by the amount of business that you're doing, the amount of work yeah. you're doing for such an unknown guy. And that's what fascinates me to this day about your whole operation is, you know, you're situated in a rehearsal facility, Secret Studios, and have been for a number of years. Yep. And yeah. and so you're too many. You're in a very unique <laughs> way environment. Way too many. <clears throat> yeah, way too yeah. many. But before we get into that, I do want to kind of trace back a bit. I was I was recounting uh, how I originally met you, and I think it was I was working at Audio Images in San Francisco, and you were working for uh, our friend Paul Morris <laughs> at PCM Marketing. Yeah, yeah, I was I was doing the sales rep thing. Which, if you wrote down the perfect job for Rob Preston, I had it, and I had it for most of the '90s. And what did I do? I went and quit like an idiot. Well, <laughs> but well, like, I, I'm I'm glad about. Well, it. explain that. Why was that the perfect job? And ex and maybe talk well, a little bit about the job itself. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I worked for this guy. I actually met Paul Morris, the 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 rep principal, the guy who owned this rep company. He repped Sure Microphones in Northern California. I met him when he came to the Guitar Center store in San Jose way back in '89, and I was working the accessory counter. And there I am, I'm a little guitar center sales guy, right? And I knew that selling strings wasn't going to make a whole lot of money. And when he came in to teach me about the microphones, I'm, I realized, you know, when I sell an SM58, or, you know, that was right when the Beta 58s came out, it's like, hey, man, I can actually make a couple bucks selling these, and it's they're cool. Like, I like them. So I wanted to learn more about the mics, not only, you know, because I like to use them playing in bands and whatever, I want to I want to take care of customers and make a couple bucks. And so I would call him up all the time. Hey, get in here. Teach me more about these mics. Teach me more about selling. And uh, and I got to be pretty good buddies with him. And then when I quit Guitar Center, he actually called me up and said, hey, what the hell are you doing? And I said, nothing. He said, well, come work for me. So, you know, 10 years later, I, I made it out of the rep thing alive. And and it, it, was a, it was a very cool 10 years. I got to go to Sure. I got to go to Mackie. I got to go to Crown, you know, and and they taught me all kinds of stuff uh, about audio and about selling and about, you know, I could see the different versions of each company's idea of of customers and customer service. And that was really amazing because I like that stuff. That's a different like perspective that, service part of that you don't normally get. Yeah, you were getting it from some pretty major companies. I mean, Crown, sure. Yeah. And Mackie. And Mackie at the time was really kind of um, um, semi-new. Yeah, they were, well, you know, the 90s was, you know, as you know, we're old enough, Mackies and ADATs, yeah. you know, and so the 90s for audio was like, uh, you know, it was a crazy, crazy time. We were selling gazillions of Mackie mixers and the, 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 the Alesis guys were selling gazillions of ADATs and, you know, that, that was a recording revolution right there for guys to be able to do stuff at home. So it was really, really fun most of the time, but it was still a sales job. And, you know, that gets old after a while. And and just to clarify for, for those that are listening that maybe don't exactly understand it, it's like you were working for a gentleman who had a firm that sold to the pro audio dealers. In other words, he was the liaison between, say, Sure Microphones and a guitar center or an audio images or a cutting edge. Yeah. We called on the stores on behalf of the manufacturers. So we were their reps. Yeah. Because I remember you used to come in to Audio Images 
and you and I yeah. and Amy Myers would hang out and just, you know, shoot the breeze and 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 talk. We were all just like youngsters, huh? I know. <laughs> we were kids. <laughs> I still feel like a kid though. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> cuz I still act like one. I mean, as far as uh you considering it like the ultimate job, what was what were your favorite parts about working for for Paul and 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 doing this kind of a job? For one thing, you know, if I'd stayed there, I'd be a, a homeowner at this point. You know, it was good money. I, I didn't have to sit in the office all the time. I got to drive around. I got to call on, you know, kooky guys like, you know, like you and me that, that are working at these stores and selling really cool products. You know, I mean, it's not like I'm selling, wa- you know, I wasn't selling washing machines, nothing against washing machines. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm selling Sure Mics and Mackie Mixers, you know, and Crown Amps. It's like we had a, a real good line list of products that we sold. So it was it was very cool. And I drove all around Northern California and, you know, took guys out to lunch and took guys out for drinks. The, the downside of it was, in the end, it was still a sales job, even though, you know, really everything has some degree of sales required or involved in it. Even running the little studio, you know, there's a lot of sales involved. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, it was, it was really a sales job. And things by the late 90s, by the end of the 90s, things were really changing with the manufacturers you know, it, Mackie all of a sudden, you know, nine years after after they came out with the kick-ass mixers that everybody loved, you know, now they've got power amps. Now they got speakers, you know, and it's like, uh, well, we sell, you know, crown amplifiers. How are we going to sell Mackie amps too? And so it got, it started getting like a weird competition in the, in the music, you know, manufacturing and, and rep business and retail for retail too. That's also when the internet hit in terms of online companies and it, things got really, really weird. And, and really what happened was it became no fun and I just want to have fun. I mean, I want to make money enough to survive, but I want to have fun. And it was becoming no fun. So that's why I got now it. How, how does one, you know, making good money at a, at a steady job, uh, transition into a recording studio owner situation and what, like, and, and making, and making no money, and making and no money, a, a really weird, <laughs> but still having fun. Actually, you know, uh, when I realized that I needed to get out of the rep thing, I hung in there for another couple years. That that was when I decided, and I started, I, I literally started my studio, this studio in one of the big rehearsal rooms in the back of this big secret studios rehearsal building. It started out from, you know, we were playing in bands and I had all this gear. And then I started getting into the recording stuff as I'm selling the equipment. And I, I at those last two years, uh, still with a, a good income, you know, decent income, I started dumping every dime, literally every dime that I could, you know, after rent and after beer, I would buy gear. And I was building up the studio. And I was literally for two years, I was working all day, coming down to the studio, sometimes directly from, you know, the rep thing and pull right into the rehearsal room that I'm turning into a studio and I'd go till, you know, all hours of the night working that. And there were even nights, I'm not real proud of some of them, but there were nights where I would, I would go all night and I'd literally drive back out to the rep office the next day, which is just, I mean, I was younger. I could handle it, and but I was really burning it on both ends. So you were you know? just, you were stockpiling in that last two years all the gear yeah. that you would need. So you, you were getting the gear, then heading back to the studio, installing yeah. it and prepping everything and building up this yeah. future business. Yeah. Now, really, it was stockpiling, you know, building up the gear that I thought I needed. And it was a 
big difference from a band coming in on the weekends and, you know, I could get away charging them 20 bucks an hour, I thought, and I thought I had the gear that we needed to do it. But when I quit the rep job and now I'm, do, I'm doing this in quotes full time and it's the only thing I'm doing, it was very, very different. And that was a big, big awakening for me. Well, can you, can you go into detail about that? What do you, explain that a bit. Yeah. So it was, it, it, I mean, I still remembered. I'm sitting there with, you know, I've got this band and, you know, they're supposed to be coming in and I'm thinking, oh, you know, that one ADAP machine that's kind of acting up like, um, uh-oh, it's not firing up. So what am I going to do? Well, now I realize I got to have, you know, a fourth one if I want to have three working all the time. So it was like, okay, if you're going to be doing this for real, like there is no rep job income at this point. I got to take care of this band or I can't, you know, feel good about charging them or they're not going to want to pay. And so now all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know what? I need another one of those. And I got to have backup of these others if I'm going to really do this for real. And, and I realized also that, you know, 20 bucks an hour, even way back then, it, it, that's just not going to cover it if that's the only income you got. So it was, it was, it was pretty trippy when I first fired up and, and was only doing, uh, uh, or, or really when I quit the, the rep thing and had no other income. It was just the studio stuff. It's like, oh, okay, this is this is gonna have to go a different way here. I'm gonna have to really have it together if I'm gonna want to be able to take care of guys to the point where they're paying me money. Wow. So yeah. So obviously, some <laughs> it was pretty scary. You had a few bumps in the road in launching the studio. I mean, it, it was actually pretty smooth because I really did have most of the gear back, you know, from when I was still doing it. But it, it was just like, uh, I'm going to have to be like, for real, it's not just, you know, weekend warrior anymore. I'm going to need to have it really together. And just, you know, I write things down on pads of paper. And it's like, okay, if you got guys coming in all the time, you got to go buy pads of paper, you know, <laughs> it, like, or, or like, you know, I'm going to need more beer and more waters and more chips. You know, they're actually coming in and doing stuff. But, but the thing was, I was doing it on the nights and the weekends while I still had the job, the day job. So the bumpy part was sort of buffered by by the the steady income still coming in. It was hard because I was doing two jobs or, you know, a job and a half. It was very, very hard. But, you know, musicians do it that way. You know, they got to work their day job to cover the the band thing and get that going. You know, and I was younger. It was easier. <laughs> I could handle it. It's interesting because you're in a, a rehearsal situation where, in, yeah. in, I don't know how this works and if it works the same in many other cities, but at least in the Bay Area, it's been, you know, you have a big building and it's carved out into a series of rehearsal studios with shared walls that typically aren't the yeah. the best quality in terms of, you know, they're not built to be soundproof, really. No, they're built they're built to be soundproofed enough. Just enough. But if you've got a death metal band and uh next door yeah. to you and the bass player's rig is in, <laughs> you know, it's in the oh, I if know. it's in the room, I mean, <laughs> then that that directly yeah. affects everything you do. So how long yeah. were you in the initial space? I was in that single room in the back for oh man, probably 10 years. Wow. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, I was in that back room, and that was a great room. It was pretty big, but, you know, everything was in one room. I had no isolation. It was literally like, okay, I'm going into headphones, 
make sure the studio monitors are off. And, and I'm looking across my Mackie mixer at the band and they're facing me right there in the room. And, and there's, you know, there's some big studios, real studios who do it that way in, in a bigger space than that even. And there's something to that because you're really in it with the guys, but it's very difficult to like, to, to really tell what's going on until everybody stops and you go and play back and you're like, oh, I think I need to move that kick drum mic. That sounds funny. And I couldn't tell when they were playing because I'm in there with them. So it's, you know, that was really kooky. And, and then as far as, you know, being in the rehearsal building, you really kind of had to, you know, dodge the, the bullets. If, if there's, you find out when the guy next door, when the loud dudes next door are going to start rehearsing, they're always, let's say they're there every Tuesday, Thursday night and, and Saturday during the day. You got to kind of avoid that depending on, you know, like if you're doing a quiet vocal or an acoustic guitar or something, you definitely got to avoid it. So, so that was always interesting. You know, I, I did some real early morning voiceover and, and vocal sessions just, you know, to get there before the bands show up. I, I've been in studio situations in the past where, you know, I go to like cut a vocal and, you know, the, the industrial warehouse next door that's making I-beams decides that, you know, <laughs> oh, got a fresh order, time to make some I-beams. And then the banging and, oh. you know, the welding would start. And it, it literally would just, I think my body would go into shock and I'd feel like really yeah. awkward about working with somebody yeah. in that situation. And I'd get all yeah. like, I'd have to go next door and say, hey guys, based on our agreement, can you guys turn it down or, you know, can you knock it oh. off for an hour? Yeah. Or they'd turn up their their radio really loud because, you know, it's a giant warehouse and that would somehow make it into the microphones of this early oh. place that I was at. Um, yeah. So how would you deal with that with the clients? Would you just look at them and go, hey, I'm not charging you much or, or we'll just wait an hour and I'll give you an hour on the, on the house or something? Well, yeah, all of those things, I rarely have to stop and, and not be able to work with them. Uh, but I will tell you one thing, and this comes from, from a sales kind of background. And my head and my heart are, are very much a sales guy still. But I let people know right up front. Like when I'm asking for a deposit and when we're booking time, you know, I always try to find out what they're doing. You know, like what are we going to be recording? What's the project? Whatever. And I let them know right up front. First of all, you know, this is in a rehearsal building. It's not 100% isolated from the surroundings. And also I let them know that I drink beer all day. And they got to be okay with that. And what do they say? Most of them are, are super cool. They're like, okay, I get it. Now, if if it's something like, you know, I, I've, I've actually turned down guys, and I'm lucky that I'm busy enough in, in this new room. Well, new, it's 13 years old, but, you know, in the, in the current room that I'm in, still in the same building. But I'm lucky enough to have so much business that I don't have to, I don't have to lie to anybody or, or try to push it, you know. If it's a voiceover and... It, they need, you know, pristine, quiet, isolation. I tell them, no, I, I say, I can't do it, you know? And then if I've had a guy, there was this one guy and he said, no, 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 someone told me about you. And, and, you know, I'm losing my guy, you know, he's, he's retiring. And, and somebody said, I need to go talk to Robert. You know, he's got a cool little, little, you know, affordable situation. So I had the guy over and we're, you know, he's listening to the room and I'm like, uh oh, this isn't going to be good. And, and he heard, he heard my, my, this, this Furman headphone amp 
that I've got. Do you know that one with the yeah the you know, the one with the the four mono and the stereo yeah yeah and and the brain yeah, of that is always like mm. it hums. It's a friggin' studio headphone amp and it hums. I love that system and I've had it for years, but that thing hums. Now in in my situation here, that's the least of my worries. I've got you know the owner put the soda machines right out in front of my room here, right out in front of Get Real. When the doors are open, you can really hear them. When you close the doors. We're fine. But, you know, there, there's a hip-hop dude around the corner. When he fires up his sub, it's like, uh-oh. And, you know, when the band starts showing up in the in the afternoons and evenings, if it's something really pristine and really quiet uh, that we're tracking, it's, it's not good. There's only been really just a few times in, in years, in 13 years in this room, where, you know, we're, it's like, you know, we're going to have to wait. We were recording acoustic gut string guitar from about four feet out, you know, with a compressor on it. And and that you are going to hear if somebody up the hall starts banging on the drums. Uh, but, you know, if you come in early and it's it's dead quiet here during the days, you know, most musicians aren't you know, and the bands aren't down here. So we get away. I get away with a lot here. It also keeps my overhead low. And like like you had mentioned, you know, you, you tell people that like, hey, look. If you need it really quiet, you got to pay about 150 an hour in this in this town, you know, or maybe any town. Uh, if you want really built out, isolated, this is very gorilla. My my setup here, my room is is very much a gorilla setup. You know, it's built a little bit better than the rest of the uh, rehearsal rooms that the guy built. Uh, you know, I mean, I've I've worked there. I mean, it's 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 not, you know, like a Starbucks in terms of the aesthetics of it, but I mean, you know, it's, it's a little rough, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you're making it sound worse than it really is. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think I, I do that naturally now to, to make, let people know ahead of time, like, you know, it's not trilogy or fantasy or wherever, you know, but, that it's got its, its quirkiness. And I, I want to talk a little bit about just the business aspect of it. You're situated in a rehearsal place and you are the manager of the building. Is that right? Well, no, I, I sell the rooms for him, okay. but I don't, ma- I don't manage the place, which is a big difference because when people call and they're like, hey, you know, the bathrooms are all screwed up. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I know because I'm a tenant too, you know, I go, you got to talk to the office. But whenever there, and, and this, is, this has been a really good thing for me in, in a lot of ways, working for the owner, you know, as, as much as I do, just to sell rooms is awesome because whenever anybody calls the office at Secret Studios and says, hey, we, my band needs a room. How much for a room? They say, call Rob at the studio. He's the guy who handles the room sales. So, you know, I'm like the leasing agent. So not only do I get focused target marketing, I guess, you know, the bigwigs would call it, you know, every band that's looking for a rehearsal space and, and they call here, they give them my number. And so I'm talking to them. So not only do I get to talk to musicians, who are doing stuff, I pitch them on my studio always. I have them come meet when they want to check out the rehearsal rooms. I have them meet me here in my studio. And they always say the same thing. They're like, they either say, oh man, I didn't know there was a studio here. This is cool. How much? Or they say, oh yeah, I heard there was a studio here. How much? So I'm all, I've already got a, a little bit of a relationship started with them. They've already seen my space. If they're super loud and rehearse during the day or whatever, I'm like, okay, dudes, I got a room for you way in the back of the building over here. And if they're quiet, <laughs> it's very self-serving, but it, it's, it's good for everybody. I wouldn't do it if it was just good for me. 
it's good for them too because every loud band says, oh, dude, totally. I don't want to be blowing anybody out. I don't want to blow you out. And and quiet guys, they're like, oh, yeah, dude, I want to be near your room because, you know, you've got double insulation and the control room isn't very loud. So, I, you know, like a vocal coach who needs a room or, you know, quieter bands, they're stoked to be down near me. So it works out really good. Wow. You- and, um, and then, yeah, so it's, it's really good all the way around. I'm good at selling the rooms. I've been doing it for years and years and years, you know, like since he expanded and built out my space, the, the room that I'm in. And uh, it works out good for everybody. You're in such an advantageous position because you, first of all, you establish from the get-go these relationships with all these musicians. It it definitely serves two purposes to, you know, place them in places around the building that's advantageous to, to everybody so that, you know, they, they want to be a good neighbor, but also you know how to put like, uh, I don't want to say like-minded, but like-sounding similar sounding bands or or similar yeah. volume level bands in a particular area yeah. keeps everybody kind of happy and then and then you're kind of like the mayor of yeah exactly i've become like the mayor i also get away with more stuff i get to find out things that are happening around here a little bit more than a regular tenant might and you know if somebody is like you know blowing me out with a sub I, I actually went to the owner and, and cried to him and said, listen, dude, like, you know, th- th- these subs, they go right through these walls. Like, they don't even know there's walls here. And he he made these other dudes like, you know, we worked out a thing where they got rid of their subs. So, you know, I've got a little bit of pull in that regard, too. So it it, it is definitely one of the big, big reasons that I'm as busy as, I'm, as I am. And it's also one of the reasons that I stay here. You know, I've thought about getting out of this crazy rehearsal building and, you know, getting a warehouse and building it out and doing all this stuff. And then, and every time I think about that, it's like, well, uh, okay, I might be able to come up with the money to do that, but then I'm going to be out there like all by myself, you know, like I'll be like a little island in this giant sea. And here there's bands coming and going. I open up my doors to get air and there's guys walking by with, you know, carts full of gear and they're like, Hey, hey what's going on in there? This, this place is cool, dude. What is this? It's like, dude, you never saw the studio? Come on in, have a beer, check it out. It, it's it's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's I, kind of you'd kill off all of your business if you moved to a warehouse where people just yeah. don't, where you just don't have the traffic. I mean, you're essentially like in a, yeah. it's like being in a strip mall. It totally is. I, I literally, I'm a, I'm a recording studio that has walk-in business. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's a, it's a weird thing. It's just it's it's not normal. It it, it really isn't normal. And uh, let's talk about the the money aspects of it. So you charge hourly. Yeah. And what what is your current hourly rate? I I finally bumped it to a whopping sixty bucks an hour. Okay. I've been fifty an hour for years and years and years. And and I still have guys. You know, guys who've been coming in. I'll keep them at at fifty. But I you know I quote sixty an hour. And I've really, uh, that, that gives me a little bit of room if, if somebody's like, you know, hey, well, we didn't start right on time or whatever. I got a little bit of wiggle room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, still, it's, it's still pretty cheap. It's still affordable for people, uh, you know, for the bands or, or, you know, it's usually one guy who's paying. But with my overhead fairly low being at a rehearsal building, I'm, I'm able to keep it at, at 60 bucks an hour for guys, which works out. It, it seems to be kind of a, a magic number, you know. Above that, it's kind of like... You know, you got to be, you, you got to be going to a fairly, someone's got to want a pretty fancy place to want to pay a lot more than that. But also, or, you know, even I mean, anymore. in that $60 an hour rate, I mean, if, if you think about it, I mean, people can drop in. It's not like 
they have to book out months in advance, right? Yeah, and 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 I, you know, I try to keep it really straightforward and easy. You know, I've looked at other studios. Uh, websites or, or whatever their policies and you know th- they've got like this whole long thing where you got to do 50 percent up front and did it of the estimated whatever and it's like oh my god that, you know that that's that's like uh, i'm already like not psyched to record you know when i read that stuff and you know i don't have a minimum if somebody wants to book like an hour at at two o'clock on a saturday i'm gonna be like dudes you know what i I, like that's when the band comes in and books like, you know, eight or 10 hours for me. Like, can we do this on an evening or maybe midday on a weekday? Like I can't just do an hour. But if somebody says, look, dude, I just need a couple hours. I'll find them a night. We'll do it. Being like a one man show. I don't have to coordinate with anybody else. And I can just, I can, and I'm happy to book just an hour. If I don't have anything else booked, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And and if I may ask, and, and you can, of course, you know, choose to answer or not. Uh, do you have, can you give us a, a rough idea of your arrangement with the facility in terms of? Oh, as far as my rent? Yeah. Yeah. Do you pay rent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, well, yeah, I definitely pay rent. I pay more than probably most guys, uh, you know, way more than a lot of guys. I get a discount. That, oh, that was the other thing that I didn't mention, right? Um, in selling the rooms for the owner, being the you know his little leasing agent guy, I get a small—it's pretty small—but I get a discount on my rent for that. And he has—he doesn't raise my rent either. So, um, so that that helps, you know. Some months it's a lot of work. It's like, oh my god, there's like five rooms available, and I've got like you know all these different guys I got to meet and show them these rooms. And it, you know, I can't be doing a session and be like, hey, um, uh, I got to go talk for 15 minutes to this dude about a rehearsal room, you know. So I have to do it in between sessions. I have to coordinate that. Uh, so there's that cost involved. But I, I, I happily take the discount, you know, for doing that work for him, you know. So I got, I get a little bit of a discount. The owner knows that I like doing it. He knows that I get a lot of business directly because of that. And he's, he's a cheapskate. So, <laughs> you know him. <laughs> I know. I won't use his name, but happy Sanchez. But anyway, uh, you know, it's, but it works out good. It's, it's a good arrangement for everybody. He doesn't have to deal with it. His office guy, manager dude, doesn't have to deal with it. A lot of times it happens at nights and weekends when guys can come down. So, you know, and, and it's really one of the reasons I'm, I'm as booked as I am. You know, I know you, and I mean, I think that you can be a good filter for the business because you can, you can identify like, mm, these guys might be a problem, you know, yeah. like the, yeah. you know, there may, yeah. there may be somebody who comes in that, and let's just say that you're thinking, these guys don't want to rehearse. These guys want to set up a meth lab in the rehearsal room. Yeah. <laughs> they want to grow weed. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I, you know, it's funny because, um, I, I was a lot better at that the first like 10 or 11 years of doing it. And the last couple years, couple dudes, they, they tricked me, man. They tricked me. And, you know, it's like they'll send in the, the kind of clean cut dude. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, who are these other guys? You know, and, and really that is a part of it. I've got to be a filter uh, for, for placing guys in these rooms. But, you know, for the most part, you know, they're, they're good guys. You know, if they've, if they've got it together to, to get a room and come up with, you know, 700 bucks a month, cause these rooms aren't that cheap, you know? No, they're not. 700 bucks. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, I, I can, I'm a pretty good judge, you know, after talk, I can tell kind of on the phone a lot of times, you know, if they can form complete sentences and, you know, show up here when they said they're going to, then, you know, they're off to a pretty good start. But yeah, every now and then, a guy will slip by and it's like, what the hell's, 
the hell's up with this dude? You know, the owner calls a month later and asks me what's up with room 36, man. I'm like, oh no, I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> it turns out to be crazy. Hey, just taking a little break here from the interview with Robert Preston. Want to make sure that you are aware that I do have those Audio Technica 40 series samples up on the website for you to check out. So and that kind of is meant to complement their promo that's going on. It's also meant as like a little bit of a research and development on, on my part, along with a Nina Michella, James Meter, and uh, Cole Williams. Um, we just recorded some stuff. If you've heard this part before, you know you know what the, the drill is. We recorded these um, guitars and vocals and such, and I still have yet to get the drum parts up there. I swear I'm going to get that up there. Anyhow, check those out. And uh, be aware that Audio-Technica is running a fantastic deal where if you buy one of the 40 series mics in a list that they have, and you can get to that list by going to workingclassaudio.com, going to the right-hand side of the page, click on the Audio-Technica banner, and that'll take you to the information page, and it'll tell you all about it. Basically, you buy one of the 40 series mics, and you're going to get a pair of uh, M50 headphones, the ATH M50Xs. And they're great. You know, they have, I'm, I'm actually moving my hand around here to, uh, to my Audio-Technica headphones. And uh, they have a removable little cord that can come out. They come with two separate cords, a coily one and a long straight one. And so if the cord ever goes bad, you can just simply replace the cord. I thought that was common sense. I really like that. They're comfortable to wear for me. Um, I enjoy how they sound. And I, and I think that, you know, if you're going to buy a microphone, a large diaphragm condenser, or even one of their ribbon mics that they have, uh, listen to those samples and listen to the differences. And uh, maybe there's a hole in your mic collection of a, of a type of tonal character that you're looking for. This is a, a chance to kind of fill that hole and, uh, and get yourself a new mic, get yourself a pair of headphones in the process. So make sure to check that out on the um, Audio-Technica website or through the banner on the Working Class Audio site. All right, let's get back to Robert Preston here on the Working Class Audio podcast. In terms of gear, I mean, you've made a major transition over the years. You are no longer, you know, sitting with a Mackie board and some ADATs. <laughs> right, right. So your yeah. business has been uh, to a volume that you've been able to reinvest in the business because the last time I was there, man, you had a shit ton of gear uh, well i know i know i went crazy for um i went a little bit nuts for a bunch of years early on uh but i've been careful about what i buy too you know um i i limped along with um you know before pro tools when when, when you couldn't really get pro tools for you know a thousand bucks or whatever in the old days i was using the mark of the unicorn with the adats for my converters so that, that's how I got 24 ins and outs. And I limped along with that for a long time. I, you know what? We saved and saved and saved uh, for, for a good couple of years and then plunked down over with our buddies at Cutting Edge for, the, for the, what's now the old HD Pro Tools setup. But as far as, um, yeah, I, I, I put a lot back into the studio, you know? I'm not, I'm not a gear slut. I love the stuff and there's certain things that I, you know, love more than other things, like a lot, like those UA 2108s. Mm -hmm. We both love those. Um, and I did get a little kooky looking for those uh, when they were, you know, when you could still find them. But I've been very careful about the, the stuff that I'm buying, you know, the analog stuff. I try to buy, you know, top-notch stuff, uh, not crazy esoteric, but good hard work and stuff. 
like APIs and and those universal audio pre's and you know whatever distressors you got to have those yeah um, and, and and you know careful in terms of stuff that'll hold its value you know that's of value when you're using it but that will hold its value too the digital stuff you know it, it was like you know I had to do it with the with the Pro Tools HD rig but you know the minute you buy that it's it's you know it's like a car it's like worthless you drive it you off know. the lot and it's, it's like it loses half its value half. yeah great you know and 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 now I'm still I'm kind of limping along with this Pro Tools because it's you know it's old now. Okay, so what version when of Pro Tools are you on? <laughs> I'm on HD8 with the old I guess they're called the blue converters. Okay, the 192s. The I guess they're the are those the blue ones? They look kind of blue. Okay, but that's so. What I had to do was I I actually had to buy Pro Tools 10 and 11 and put it on my laptop. Just so when guys bring in a 10 or 11, or I guess there's 12 now, when they bring in a, a something higher than, you know, 10 and above, I, I have to down save it so that we can fire it up on my system, which is starting to get to be a drag. Interesting. But it works. Yeah. So I, I had to buy it for the laptop because, you know, I, I, I can't really, I, I move pretty slowly as far as that goes. You know, I, when things are working good, I, I just want to, I don't want to leave it. You know, I don't want to change it. Everything's working good. The computer's, fine, you know, doing what it's supposed to do. Let's just keep cruising. You and, know? you know, in many cases, I mean, first of all, you're, for the most part, you're a one-man operation. Occasionally, people come in yeah. there. I've been in there before. And in a one-man operation, I mean, let's face it, you can get away with whatever works for, we'll call the studio the house. Whatever works for the house, you can, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of self-contained. And even... Here's a different perspective on on the upgrading fever that is always trying to capture us. Even though you're on an older version of Pro Tools, it's rare that, well, in fact, I don't think you you ha will have this problem. Even if you had to send that old Pro Tools session out, yeah. it's always going to be able to be opened by a newer version of Pro Tools. It's it's yeah. Whereas in the case if you're on the bleeding edge and you're doing you know Pro Tools twelve point three sessions and sending it out, you're going to run into a few roadblocks because, you know, some people are still on 11, still on 10. That's that's a very good point. So you're kind of, you know, by staying behind the curve, you're, you know, you're financially making a, a very conservative good, good choice, I think, there. But you're also you know, protecting yourself if you send stuff out, it's not as much hassle. It's, it's, I'm, it's just a different way of looking at it, I think. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I hadn't looked at it that way. I'm always worried about like, oh my God, am I going to be able to open this dude's session when he brings it? Am I going to be able to open this up? And that, you know, that was why I went and got the, the current version for the laptop just to convert them back. But, but yeah, I never have to worry when I send out an eight, a Pro Tools eight session, they'll all be able to open it. I mean, it's rare that a guy's got a, there, I don't think there's any six, point nines anymore <laughs> remember that <laughs> now our age is showing but yeah that, that's a very good point i don't have to worry about it. i send mine out and they're going to open up so you said you're very careful about gear so do you spend time researching or do you like are, are you what's yeah. your philosophy about money and gear like i mean you kind of laid it out essentially but i mean what would cause you to buy something new well, yeah uh, well first of all and and this isn't so good for you know the manufacturers and any pitches we're doing for them for new gear but uh i, I am a craigslist addict i addict i love looking on craigslist and, and i also like buying stuff from guys locally because i've actually had some of those sales turn into some recording sessions because this is a great place to do a deal you know hey i'll tell you what guy you bring those two neumann mics over to my studio i can test them out it'll take us five minutes 
it's a, it's a semi-public place. It's safe. You know, I'm not going to knock you over the head. You're not going to knock me over the head here. And it's safe to count the money. It's easy to check it out. And then I don't have to get in the car. You do. And I've done a lot of deals that way. And it works out great. And I bought new stuff too, you know, from the, from, from low, I try to stay local as much as I can. And I use, I use a, a, a particular online guy who's been amazing. I'm not sure if we're allowed to say names of those guys. Sure, go we? ahead. Who? Well, I've got a, there's, there's, you know, they give you an individual sales engineer at Sweetwater. Right. And I got to tell you, the dude's been great. He's been really good. And, and I, I'll tell you something, you know, I worked in a store in 89. I worked at Guitar Center. I've sold as a sales rep, like we were talking about to all the stores in Northern California, you know, I, and I'm a local dude as far as I, I can't really do online sales. I got to have guys come into my quote store, you know, and I've tried to stay local, but man, I'll tell you, if the stores aren't doing it, I got to, I got to make it happen one way or another. And it bums me out to, to send gear away to get repaired to, because I can't find a good repair guy in town. They're all goofy or whatever, or can't do it. Or, um, or, or to buy gear, you know, I would buy it from these stores if they were taking care of me, if they had the stuff and if they weren't charging, you know, full price, I, you know, got a Jewish mother. I need just give me some sort of discount. You know? That's all I'm asking. <laughs> I'm old and I'm cheap and I don't make a lot of money, man. And I got a Jewish mother. Well, three strikes, four strikes. Let's just compare. Do you feel like you're making the same money that you were when you were working at PCM marketing? Oh, not even close. I, I, I think now I make what I made when I left. And that was like, well, actually I remember, I remember it, I was about 10 years into it which was about 10 years ago. I was about 10 years into it. And I said, you know what? I'm finally now making with the studio what I was making when I left 10 years ago mm. from PCM, the, the rep company. So it's a lot less. It's, it's probably about half. It, it, it's probably even less than half. But I got to tell you, you know, anything that you do that you're creating yourself, you know, opening up a small business of any kind, it's super fun. And, and very rewarding. And I'll take it. And thank God my wife isn't like, I need diamond rings and I need a big house. You know, she hasn't left me yet. She's cool with this. She gets the, this, the creative part of it and she appreciates that. So that's cool. For, for me, it takes a certain type of person. I, I get the guy that wants to know how much they're going to make and know what time they're supposed to start and know what time they're, they, they get to leave and, and they don't have to worry about it after hours. You know, they've got their weekends off. I don't, I admire those dudes. Not only do I understand it, I admire that. There's, but there's a lot of guys, especially if you're into music, they're just not built that way. You know, it's like, that's like a cage for them. It's it's not a, a, a nice, safe situation. It's a friggin' cage and you, you'll go nuts after a while. And, you know, when guys ask me things like, hey, you know, do you miss playing in the band? Like, you know, the, the band only plays like, you know, once every three years now or whatever. And it's like, you know, I do miss it, but not that much because doing this studio, it's kind of like what the band was. Everything you do is based on the effort that you put into it and thinking ahead about what to do next and how to pull it off. Doing any small business is very creative. It it scratches that creative itch, I think, you know, and, and having it be music related, all the better. I would agree with you that there is in business there is a level of creativity and some people 
have kind of a, a, a different perspective where they think, you know, business is all cold and, but business can be creative and, uh, yeah. ch- and, and challenging in, in many ways. So when you take business and art to make that work is definitely a creative endeavor. Yeah. You know, if you got big and corporate, maybe there's some stuff that's like, it, it can get cold. I mean, I remember back in the rep days where Paul Morris and I were, were, were looking through this file cabinet, you know, he was an old, he was a, a, a rock and roll guy too, you know, from his, uh, earlier days. Here we are, we're two guys that think we're cool. And we're looking through these in our copies of the invoices to see if, you know, if, if a guy bought 12 sure microphones last month or whatever, and, and we looked at each other, we're like, what the hell are we doing? This is like totally lame. We wanted to be like cool. And now we're, we're dorks, you know, but I, I do think that like any, any small business, you, you got to be creative, you know? And when it's small, you know, you're kind of doing all the stuff, you know? Like, I'm the guy that's supposed to send a bill out to these dudes. I'm also the guy that's booking the next guy who calls and, you know, following up with a guy that I said I'd find out if that date's available, you know? And, I, I, you know, I'm the scheduling guy and the booking guy. And then, you know, I'm the guy crawling around placing mics on their drum set, you know? And helping them make a mix and helping them get it to a point where they can take it to the the next stage. Let's d- dig a little deeper into the creative side. When you're doing this, you're in a situation where I'm sure a lot of guys are like, you know, wanting to make demos because oh, yeah. you're in a rehearsal Tons. place. So a lot of times, you know, with the impetuous nature of a musician, I'm sure they're like, okay, cool. Let's go demo it down at Rob's place. Do you ever yeah. do you ever get frustrated and and feel like you're not a part of the the bigger more celebrated process of a record release or do you do you feel like you've participate on enough records? You know, that's that's a trip because I'll tell you something. You know, I've had some bigger wig type dudes come in here and those are weirder sessions, you know, cuz I you know, I didn't come up working in big studios with big names and, and like, you know, I I don't work with a lot of producers, you know, I mean, I, I, there, this is a lot of my stuff. Like you said, most of the stuff, you know, it's self-produced, you know, it's, it's indie, it's self-produced. Some of these guys even think I'm the producer and it's like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute, dude. But yeah, but you're the guy twiddling the knobs, you know, you're hitting the, and it's like, well, that's your engineer. If you want me to produce, we got to talk about it. That's a whole different thing. At this point, you're producing this thing. But I actually, I love all of these guys at, at the the level that's, and I get, you know, all different levels. But yeah, the bulk of it is guys, you know, indie, doing it on their own. Some of these dudes have never even recorded before. And some of them know just enough to be kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, like they've got these ideas and it's like, well, you know, we could do it that way. But, you know, you're going to, you're going to bump into something down the road and, you know, so why don't you try it this way or whatever? But, you know, I'm, I'm here to do it how, how they want to do it, you know. I, I actually feel like in a weird way that I am part of, of the, the, you know, the bigger process, you know, the, the, the bigger, you know, goal and the bigger thing that's happening. Because I honestly believe that if guys come in to this little studio and have a good time and get good results – they are going to do more music. They'll continue to do music. And I love it when I hear a band, you know, I'll see them walking down the hall and, and they're like, oh, hey, we're going to record. And, I'm, and, and then they're like, oh, shit, we didn't book Rob. You know, maybe he's going to feel bad. 
And I could see it in their eyes. They kind of like look down and then they start pushing their cart toward the car. Let's get out of here. And I'm like, oh, good, awesome. Dudes, where are you going? You know, they're, well, well we're going to, you know, Trilogy or Fantasy or, or Laughing Tire or wherever, you know. They're going to a, a nice, big, fancy studio. And I feel great about that because I feel like when they came here, they got good results and enjoyed the process and learned the process some. And they're moving on. It's almost like I never had kids, but, you know, it must be like watching your kids, you know, move out and, and go get their own place or something. You know, they, <laughs> they got their first apartment or something, you know, I do feel that way. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it's a graduation of sorts, you know, and I've had guys not to toot my own horn, but, you know, I've had guys that have done the thing in the rehearsal room, done their thing here with me and then moved on to bigger badder, more awesome, more expensive studios. And I've had guys come back and they're like, dude, we like it here. You know, like um, somebody went up to, well, I'm not going to name that name, but you know, they went to a nice big fancy studio and they had a lame time. You know, it took them 45 minutes to get headphones. Um, you know, the, the dude disappeared for 20 minutes. You know, you, you can have a big fancy car and still, you know, kind of drive like an idiot just because you got the good car. You know, you could still screw things up in a fancy studio, but it comes down to the guys really you know, that, that are driving. But, you know, they, they, they came back here and they're like, no, nah, we want to work with you, Rob. And we, we get plenty of good stuff out of here. It sounds great. You know, that's, that's very cool. In retrospect, when I look back and I think, okay, and I mentioned this on the show before when I was in Emeryville and I had a little yeah. studio there with a couple people with Josh Roberts and Lisa Richmond, the overhead was low. The responsibility uh, was manageable. And I felt like, I always felt like I needed to bust out and get bigger. And when I did, and I went to San Francisco and took over the old coast recorders building, um, that's when it started to get crazy. And that's, I lost some clients cause the rates had to go up and, um, yeah. the, you know, the, Parking wasn't as good and everything started to, to snowball out of control in a way that I thought, you know, I did a lot of cool stuff and I learned a lot and I grew as an engineer, but I look back on it and I think it's, it's, it's frustrating because had I not done that, I wouldn't have learned the lessons. I wouldn't have grown. Right. But at the same time, right. I also look at it and go, but if I had stayed, it would have been more manageable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you bite off that big old, I mean, that's a big nut and that, and that does become more of the cold part of, of business, you know, like, you know, there's a lot more to manage. There's a lot more that you got to cover. You got to be a harder ass on the money and, you know, and charge, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a whole different thing, but it's also one of those things where a lot of times I'm feeling like, like, like I know you felt like you just said at, at your smaller, safer, manageable spot, you know, am I just being, you know, a wimp and, and playing it safe, you know? Well, by not busting out into a bigger place. I'm sure you go through this all the time where you, yeah. like you said, you've, you've considered, well, should I move out? Should I go to a different spot? But then you're not yeah. going to have that unique walk-in traffic. Yeah. It's, it's a very, 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's literally every day. Like when I'm driving up and I'm like, oh man, I'm still in this friggin' rehearsal building, you know, but then there's days where it's like, you know, well, almost every day where it's super fun and, you know, you get to meet people. But, you know, I think about, man, you know, if I didn't have to deal with the, the bands next door, and if I didn't have to deal with like, you know, all the, the, the stuff that you got to deal with being in a rehearsal building, but I, you know, it's still the benefits for me still outweigh the, the downside. I mean, it's, it's a total double-edged sword. It's like the dudes who are making a racket 
up the hall while I'm trying to record down here, they're coming in in two weeks to record, you know? So it's like, oh man, you know, they got busy in their room because they booked time with me. So they got to rehearse their songs, you know? It's like, oops, yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a total double-edged sword, but it, you know, it works, it just works too well, you know? I mean, I've got, I got, actually I have too much business for one guy. I've got more than I can handle. And, and I don't talk to any studio dude who's got too much, you know? Yeah, except for maybe John Vanderslice. He's busy, huh? Yeah, oh, I mean, they're busy all the time. But yeah, see, they keep their place fun, you know? It's not like this, ooh, it's not like going to the doctor's office or whatever, you know? Tiny Telephone's like, oh, man, it's going to be great when we get there and it's all vibey and cool and the guys are all cool and fun. and You know what I mean? You know, that's interesting you say that because I guess it depends on the personality of the person, uh, who's running the show because if you do have somebody who is very um I don't want to say type A, but maybe it maybe that is the right word, but you know, they like things in a particular way and they're very, you know, aesthetically minded. Maybe they're not gonna do as well because you walk in and you you don't sense, hey, this is gonna be fun because yeah. they put so much of the effort into making everything look good. Yeah, yeah. And and also, you know, hopefully the the that translates into sounding good too you know they're not they're not like eh, it's close enough whatever you know and and ends up sounding crappy and you got to do a lot of surgery to make it work but you know the the thing you, the thing that i have to be careful of and that i'm conscious of always is you know my idea of fun may be different than the guys coming in idea of fun i i do always try to make it you know in quotes fun here you know when i'm working with guys when they come in and I think it's one of the reasons I stay busy. But everybody's version of fun, you know, isn't laughing and yucking it up. So, you know, you have to adapt to that to, to take care of them. My, my, my whole focus is like, it's taking care of these guys. You know, I really look at the studio as like uh, a, a service business, you know. It's, and it's kind of like a hotel in a way. It, it's really kind of hotel business. You know, people book time. And they want to come in and use the facilities and, and the guy's service, you know, the, the engineer. And, you know, you, it's really like a hospitality thing, you know. So you want to make them comfortable. You want to, you know, provide service, whatever it is they're looking for, in a, in a specific kind of quirky job environment. What the, what the product is that they're looking to walk out with. But it really is, a, it's a service thing, you know. And I think if you want to be an engineer and if you want to be a studio owner, you need to be able to like read what these guys are all about, you know, not just musically, but, but personality wise. And, and what are they, you know, how do they want this thing to go and try to make your situation, your studio and, and yourself work for them in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you do have to be a bit of a chameleon. Yeah, very much so. And I think that is somewhat of an easy, easier task than making your studio a chameleon. Because if you run a facility that's um, a little funky around the edges and, you know, a vibey place, and then you have a client that's expecting, what would be a good example? What would be the antithesis of your place? Oh, like a one union or something where all the video, big video production guys go that's a, oh yeah that's a perfect example you know you got the client services chick at the at the front desk you know and you've got like tie lines to la and they're, they're like you know a thousand bucks an hour or whatever and they're doing <laughs> you know they they want the fancy they want the fancy aesthetic there they're bringing in lunch and 
all that stuff. Right. It's not just Takati in the fridge. Right. They're not. They're not going to get yeah drink beer out of your fridge, and and they're not really going to be thrilled if they if they have to go out to the vending machine for for lunch to get Gatorade <laughs> and Doritos. Yeah. So it's it's it is a different thing, and but see that's their idea of uh, you know in quotes fun. You know that's what those guys require in in their head. You know they need that, and and that's why I don't have that kind of business. You know I don't I don't get those guys. Well, and I think my brother used to to say you know he can wear a suit or a leather jacket. You know just to kind of you know yeah, say that yeah. you know he can run in both crowds and operate in both crowds. And not everybody can yeah. do that. You know, that's very true. Not everybody can do that. And the real trick is to be genuine about it. If you're faking it, you're going to reek. People smell that a mile away. You, you know, you have to be genuine about it. So, you know, you can't, like you were saying before, you can't be everything to anybody. Uh, you know, and your studio can't really be everything. I mean, I guess, you, you know, there is a way to work that out. But that would be really expensive and a real nightmare to run if you're trying to be everything to everybody you know you you do have to figure out your niche as as far as who you're catering to mm -hmm. but you got to be able to flex within that as to okay what is this guy all about and and what's and, and really it comes from just asking some questions you know and, and that was a thing i learned in sales you know it, they call it qualifying the customer you know you ask them what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve and you know all the basic stuff like okay how many guys you know, how many kick drums, how many toms, <laughs> right? You know, how many guitar players, all of those things. But then like, all right, so then you can ask more stuff like, you know, well, what studios have you been to? Uh, is somebody producing this thing? Okay, you're the guy in charge. All right, cool. And, and what do you want it to sound like? Or, you know, are you guys well rehearsed? Are you still figuring it out? All those kinds of things help you zero in on what is going to be of value to that guy. You know, I want to be of value. That That's my main thing. I, I'm very concerned with like being of use to these guys. I mean, you said it, it's, it's a service business and we've, we've talked about it on the show many times before how it's like, you're kind of like a waiter. Yeah. And very much. And it's funny as you were like rattling off all those things, I was thinking, you know, it truly is a matter of juggling numbers, not just money, but it's like, okay, how big's the drum set? How many songs are you doing? What, what, what's yeah. the, what, you know, what's the deadline? Uh, what data was, yeah, how many guys, how many guys, how many people, band, you know, how, you know, what's your budget and then taking all those numbers and, uh, juggling it and managing it and trying to spit something out that in the end gives them a number they're happy with and gives them a final product of what they're happy with. Right. Yeah. Rob, this has been really great to talk to you. And I think it's, it's such a glimpse into a completely different take on all of the recording world as far as like, not just studio ownership, but just the the strange and unique position you're in being in a rehearsal facility. And I don't know how many studios in this world are situated like that, but this, uh, this has been fascinating. So I appreciate your time today and it's really good to talk to you. So thanks for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure. I really appreciate it. I'm honored. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. All right. I'll talk to you later. Later. All right. Robert Preston here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hope that was informational for you. Hope you got a lot out of that. I I enjoy Robert's company and and he's a he's a funny guy and he's he's a hardworking guy and it's just he's a fascinating person to talk to from a not only a recording perspective but a business perspective as well and just really genuine person. Anyways, before we run out of time, I want to make sure and make you aware Universal Audio is kicking ass on these promos before the end of the year. They've got three of them going on. Number one, um, 
on the website, we have a banner for the uh, b- the promo where if you buy a, a, a UA Twin, uh, you get some free plugins. So you can click on the link there, and that'll take you to the information page. Now, if you happen to be on the Universal Audio website, you'll notice they're given up to 60% off on their plugins this uh, this time of year, before the end of the year. There's some good ones on there. There's some really good deals and some plugins I'm very fond of. Number number one, I can think off the top of my head that I've been using a lot lately is the uh, Valley People Dynamite plugin. You might want to check that out. The other promo that they're doing is super cool. If you buy an Apollo, like a, a, an Apollo 8P, uh, an Apollo 8, or the first generation Apollo, the Firewire Apollo, before the end of the year, they will give you, as a bonus, they will give you a quad-core satellite. So if you buy a Thunderbolt-based Apollo, they're going to give you a Thunderbolt-based satellite box. If you buy the Firewire-based one, they're going to give you a Firewire-based satellite box. Three really great deals that they're running before the end of the year that if you're thinking at all about making a purchase, you know, you can not only can you get a good deal from UA, you can write it off on next year's taxes. Uh, or, or not next year's taxes, but on this year's taxes next year when you're filing your taxes. Definitely check that out. Also, NAM show coming up in January. I'm going to be there. So uh, if you see me, please come by and say hi, even if it's a simple hello, high five, whatever. Um, come and say hello. I, I will announce at some point whose booth I'm going to be at, if I'm going to be at a booth, or if I'm just going to be wandering around. So uh, that's that. So thanks for listening. Uh, as usual, our music is brought to you by Cliff Truesdell, and our voiceover at the beginning is Chuck Smith, and our uh, social media and audio support is courtesy of our friend Cole Williams. And I want to thank our sponsors, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, and Gearsluts.com. Appreciate you listening today. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.